Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. The true meaning of Christmas is love. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The true meaning of Christmas is the celebration of this incredible act of love. Well, Jimmy, that's the message of Christmas, but there are also traditions, and we have family traditions, and a tradition that we carry on on this program, Jimmy, is that we're going to talk to our broadcast partners about the traditions that they keep at Christmas. Yes, we've got a lot to cover today, and we're covering those traditions, Rick, and we're together in Tennessee this year for a Tennessee Christmas. Well, let's get started with our first, Ken Timmerman. Well, that's right, Jimmy. I do have Ken Timmerman with us. He joins us on this eve of Christmas Eve, and we're talking to him. He is our expert on geopolitical affairs. He tells us what's going on in the world. Ken, Merry Christmas to you, and thanks for joining us. Merry Christmas to you and to all of our listeners. Uh, thanks for having me on. Well, Ken, I want to talk to you a little bit about Christmas, but I'll do that at the end. Before we do that, let's take care of some business. And we'll start with Russia. It looks like Russia, a few months ago, it looks like Russia was on the defense. Now they're on the offense. And maybe that Ukrainian counteroffensive is not working so well. With Russia becoming stronger, it seems by the day, the European Union and those European states are starting to become concerned, aren't they? They are. And Russia is becoming stronger. In the first year of the war, they took very heavy losses and it looked like the Ukrainian army had destroyed virtually 90 percent of the force that Russia had brought into Ukraine. Now they have rebuilt that force, uh, both through conscription, right, through military conscripts, but also by just building more equipment. They have expanded their arms production. They are rebuilding a formidable army that could, in fact, threaten Europe in the future. You have a number of European countries who have warned recently, starting with the German defense minister, who um, is very worried about European arms production that has gone down. They have drawn down a recent fund of $100 billion just in Germany to rebuild their own military from the very, very low levels that it had uh, gotten at the end of the Cold War. So Pistorius, the uh, German defense minister, is now saying that they should rebuild the military industries. They need to increase defense spending. And he's also pointing to the very real threat that Russia poses to the Baltic states and to Finland. And I think that is what people are really worried about now. Remember during the Cold War, the full the gap was the point where the U.S. NATO pact would confront the Warsaw Pact in Germany. Now it is that 800 mile long border with Finland, which opens the way into the Baltic states. That's what everybody's worried about. And it is not defended. It is not defended today. Well, we look at that situation and we've talked about uh, Sweden and Finland joining NATO. And of course, Sweden is on hold because of Turkey, but Finland did join NATO and they entered into an alliance and Putin is not happy about that, is he? He's not happy. And, uh, you know, we, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the border incidents and about Putin pretty clearly trying to flood the zone by sending illegal immigrants into Finland. The, the Finns have caught them uh, for the most part. But no, 
Putin is not happy about that because he has yet another border that he has to defend and NATO has come much further to the east. The Russians, in response, have set up a new military zone. It's called the Leningrad Military District. And specifically, it is aimed at Finland, but also at Estonia and Latvia. So they are now focusing military resources into that area, which they hadn't been doing before during the Cold War. In my view, Rick, uh, the key thing here uh, is not so much military hardware. We have way more hardware and manpower in the NATO countries than Russia does. Even if Russia were to completely take over Ukraine and join with Belarus, it has an alliance with Belarus. It's not the hardware. It's not the number of troops. It is resolve, political resolve. Do we have it? Uh, and I don't think we do right now. And I'm not referring to Republicans in Congress who continue to hold up money for Ukraine because Biden will not secure the border in the United States. I'm talking about the White House. I'm talking about the Pentagon. I'm talking about the State Department. Do we have the resolve as a country to really do what we need to do militarily with defense spending, with positioning troops in Europe as we had during the Cold War, to hold the line against Putin, I'm not sure we do. Not at this point. Good point, Ken. Well, let's continue on. Let's move away from Europe and Russia, and let's go to the Middle East. And this whole situation with the Red Sea and the shipping channels there and the Houthis basically claiming that they can attack any ship that's going through there. We've got ships of our own coming in there. This is a real a mess. Can you kind of explain the situation for our listeners and why we need to be concerned about it? Well, it really is a mess, and it's a mess of our own creation. Uh, the Houthis have been attacking shipping in the Red Sea, not since November, as everybody's talking about. They're talking about them seizing this uh, Israeli-linked ship on November 19th and taking it into the port of Hodeida, where they're partying just like Gaza civilians are partying when, when the hostages are brought into Gaza from Israel. No, no, no. It started already in October when the Houthis launched cruise missiles and drones against the USS Kearney. The USS Kearney, which is an Aegis-class destroyer, it is, by the way, based right near me in Jacksonville, Florida. That's its home port. Uh, but they have attacked the Kearney, gosh, I don't know how many times, at least a half a dozen times since then. The most recent was just a week ago, last Saturday, and they're firing off these cruise missiles that they've gotten from um, Iran. They're firing off drones, which they've gotten from the Iranians. Uh, uh, and uh, we have done nothing in response. We have lots of military assets. We could take out those Houthi shore batteries. We could take out their drones. We could take out their commanders in a couple of airstrikes. This is not a complicated military operation. We have done zero against the Houthis. And remember, the Biden administration took the Houthis off the terrorism list in uh, January, February of 2021, as soon as they came into office. Completely inexplicable. And the consequences of it were completely predictable. So now we're in a point in the Red Sea where 30% of world container traffic flows every single day. Okay. This is when you're, for instance, if you're going to bring goods from China into Europe, they go through the Red Sea and up to the Suez Canal. Well, now four out of five of the biggest shipping companies have said, no, no, we're going to reroute from the Red Sea. We're not going through the Red Sea and the Suez Canal any longer. We're going to go around Africa. That has added something like 25 days to the time it takes to ship a container. 
Uh, container prices have skyrocketed, Rick, as a result of this. They've gone up five times in the past couple of weeks. They've gone from, I think it's $2,000 for a 40-foot container uh, from China to Europe to now $10,000, and that is not the peak. So this is a really dramatic situation. The U.S. has not stepped up to the plate, even though the Pentagon announced this multinational coalition to try to oppose uh, the the Houthis called Prosperity Guardian. Nobody has come to the party, and that is a real problem. The port of Eilat in Israel has seen a drop of 85% in container traffic into Israel because of the closing in the Red Sea. By the way, just a historical note, this is what led to the Six-Day War when Nasser closed at the Straits of Tehran, which is a little bit further up into the Red Sea. The Houthis are now closing the Bab al-Mandeb, uh, but same impact we are doing nothing, and shame on us. Real quick, before I talk to you about Christmas, I wanted to ask one more follow-up on that situation, because I think it's something we're going to be talking about here in the future. But Iran, we talk about the parallels between the Hamas and the Houthi, and they are doing this to support Hamas. Iran backs Hamas. Iran backs the Houthis. And it just emphasizes the fact that Iran has such a big influence in this region, doesn't it? It does. And again, I think we have a disgraceful foreign policy, a uh, irresponsible foreign policy, uh, arming the mullahs in Tehran with hundreds of billions of dollars, probably $150 billion since Biden has come into office between between uh, assets that have been released uh, and additional oil revenues. It is absolutely outrageous. And the outcome is predictable. When you allow the Iranians to get wealthier and to arm themselves uh, more powerfully, they are going to attack us until we hit them. We need to hit the Houthis in the Red Sea ports of Yemen immediately if we want this to stop. Well, Ken, we'll turn our attention away from geopolitical and world affairs, but I certainly do appreciate your insight into those situations. But as we look ahead to Christmas and some better times, I know you have lived a very interesting life, and we can find out more by your book. And the rest is history. If you go to KenTimmerman.com, you can read a little bit about your life. But I wondered if you had any kind of antidote that you might want to share to tell our listeners that, uh, about Christmas and give us get us into the Christmas spirit just a little bit. Well, well, this is one that my wife has never forgotten, actually. You know, sometimes I, you know, so many years go by and you wonder, but there was one Christmas uh, in the mid-1990s, and I was on the USS George Washington off the coast of Kuwait and Iraq in the Persian Gulf. Uh, it was there sent by Bill Clinton to send a message to Saddam Hussein at the time, but I can remember being in the command center of the USS Lafayette, I think it was, that was part of the George USS George Washington's carrier strike group and watching Iranian F-14s take off from Iran, head towards the carrier strike group, and then they got to that drop deadline and they pulled a U-turn, immediately pulled a U-turn. <laughs> and so I went from the from the Persian Gulf just a couple of days before Christmas to join Christina and our children in Paris. We spent Christmas in Paris and then drove down to the Alps to go skiing. But uh, that was a, a lot of traveling in one Christmas season, from the U.S. to Kuwait, Kuwait to Paris, and Paris down to the Alps. Well, many of our listeners do a lot of traveling over the holiday season, but not that much traveling. What a great story. Well, I tell you, Rick, for those who have not spent the night on a U.S. aircraft carrier, they bring the guest and have them sleep underneath the flight deck. I can tell you when those first planes take off at first light in the morning, it is uh, quite a racket. It is the sound of freedom, my friend. 
Interesting and exciting as always. Ken, thanks so much. God bless. Merry Christmas to you, Ken. And Ken, always, as we focus on these stories, those are the nations of Ezekiel 38, Daniel 11, and Psalm 83. Well, let's take a break, and when we come back, our update from the Middle East with David Dolan, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. The first half of Isaiah 9-6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. This line stands out to our friends at Slava Gospel Association, who support the church in several war-torn regions. Yet SGA's Eric Mock tells us, Let us remember the government is on his shoulder. So therefore, for SGA, it's okay for us to serve churches in Russia. We're not affirming Russia. It's okay for us to serve churches in Israel, to serve churches in Moldova, Poland, Ukraine, all these other countries to serve the ones that God has raised out. Why? The primacy in these days is God's church, God's people, and his message through his people. Pray for trust in the King of Kings. And have you ever considered getting involved in prison outreach? Are some things holding you back? With Crossroad Prison Ministries, it's simple. Any believer can encourage incarcerated men and women in a Crossroads Bible study simply by writing letters. Alexis Ryan, Crossroads Mentor Coordinator, says, Another pushback that I've heard from some prospective mentors is that they don't know if they'll have all of the right answers because they've never experienced something even similar to being in prison or jail. But I think that the lessons do a great job of aiding in giving the mentors something to say to the students, even if they have no similar experiences. Crossroads can answer any questions about prison ministry. Connect at missionnews.org and find your place in the story. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. We're listener supported by people just like you. So by giving to Mission Network News, you enable us to keep the stories of God's kingdom coming. So join us here on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can also find us on Alexa, iTunes, or TWR360. Look for links at missionnews.org. I'm Ruth Kramer. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. This is the portion of our program we call the Middle East News Update, and joining us this week is Dave Dolan, a journalist with over 30 years of experience in Israel. Dave, thanks so much for joining us today. Glad to be with you, Rick. Dave, throughout this entire war, you've been keeping us updated, so we're going to go to you for another update today. What's the latest? Well, on the ground, the war definitely continues. The IDF operating in both the north and south of Gaza. The uh, defense minister said that basically the north has been uh, eliminated as a threat, that most of the tunnels have been blown up, including a huge modern tunnel that was blown up under Gaza City that had an elevator that took uh, the Hamas leaders down to a very well-appointed apartment underground. And more Israeli soldiers were killed, of course, during the week there. Two more on Friday were announced. In the north, fighting is continuing between Hezbollah and Israel. In fact, the most intense fighting of the war so far took place during the week. On Friday alone, we had five barrages of rockets fired into Israel by Hezbollah. 
And Rick, I have to point out these are being fired from close range right across the border from the hills of southern Lebanon. The UN resolution that ended the 2006 Israel-Hezbollah war said they're not supposed to be down there. Only the Lebanese army and and the UN forces are supposed to be there. But Hezbollah's there, and therefore the Israeli Iron Dome system cannot take these rockets out because they're very short range. One struck a livestock farm and did some damage, and an Israeli soldier was killed on Friday uh, by one of these rocket attacks. They hit uh, Kiryat Shmona, the big city up there again, mortar fire on Matula, the northernmost uh, city where I pass through every day when I worked in South Lebanon. Of course, further to the north, more attacks on U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria during the week. And further south in the Red Sea, more attacks during the week on shipping. Uh, The uh, Houthis are claiming they're hitting Israeli-bound cargo ships, but for the most part, they they have not. They've been uh, ships just trying to get up to the Suez Canal and then transit into the Mediterranean from there to uh, Europe or to the eastern United States. Of course, now most of them are going around the southern Horn of Africa. It's a 14-day extra trip and a lot more expensive, so that will add to goods. And the Wall Street Journal reported on Friday that Iranian boats are actually directing the Houthi fire from the Red Sea. They call in the different ships to hit. And uh, the Israelis believe it's actually Iranian Revolutionary Guards in Yemen that are firing at these ships, not the Yemenis themselves. So the war continues and, of course, talks over peace, uh, or uh, I should say at least a ceasefire or whatever, continued at the U.N. all week. And on Friday, they finally passed a resolution after the U.S. abstained instead of vetoing it, in which they call for a step up of humanitarian aid into Gaza and some other measures, which, of course, the U.S. supports. And the Washington Post reported on Friday that strains between Israel and the U.S. are growing and that there have been shouting matches at some of the meetings between officials of the two countries. The U.S., of course, demanding that Israel take more care in its fight in uh, the Gaza Strip in particular, where civilians, of course, are often in harm's way and many have been killed, although the Israelis again say that the uh, Hamas-run controlled health ministry reporting over 20,000 casualties now is grossly exaggerated. They say it's more like three or 4,000, which is too many, but not 20 and that there's at least 7,000 Hamas fighters that have been killed. But that's mainly what they're talking about, even though they don't say that. So the situation continues, and the war continues, and uh, it looks like a sad Christmas for the Christians of the area this year. Well, Dave, I'd like to talk to you about Christmas in just a minute. But before I do that, something you touched on in the report right there is that there is starting to become strife and stress between President Biden and Prime Minister Netanyahu. You've told us in programs past that the most important supporter of Israel is the United States. And President Biden has pretty much stuck by Israel so far. But is there a chance that the United States might start pressuring Israel? Well, Rick, we have to remember that the relationship between uh, Netanyahu and Biden was very cold at the beginning of this year, with the Biden administration basically saying, we're not going to deal with this man, too right-wing a government, and Biden's repeated that in more recent days. So, you know, he supports Israel uh, at large, but the uh, government of Israel, not really. And the Washington Post report said that after the war, there's going to be a huge clash as to what to do next and uh, who should be taking control and all of this. But at least uh, they have been supporting Israel at the UN until now, for the most part. 
Uh, we have Russia, you know, voting for this immediate ceasefire in Gaza, while uh, on Friday we had reports of new Russian shelling of the Ukrainian capital, Kiev, and two apartment buildings damaged there. So a lot of hypocrisy out there. But yes, Biden facing re-election in several states, especially Michigan, the uh, Muslim vote is very significant, and uh, they're definitely the poll show turning away from him entirely. But of course, the Democratic Party also relies on uh, Jewish votes in several states that are key swing states. So they may not be so thrilled if there really is a turn away from Israel. I don't think that's going to happen, but we're going to see, I think, more and more lukewarm support in the coming months as the election approaches. The one other thing I wanted to point out from your earlier report, you talked about Hezbollah. Of course, we've talked about Hamas and then the Houthis. All of these are Iranian-backed proxies, basically, by Iran. And they are keeping the pressure on. They have not went all in on their war against Israel, but they are certainly picking away at them, aren't they? Well, Rick, I've said it before. If there wasn't an Iran that was ardently out to destroy Israel that says it all the time, that had no war with Israel before, that's 800 miles to the east. If they didn't exist, then there wouldn't be a Hezbollah. Hezbollah is a militia force. It's not the Lebanese army. And there wouldn't be a Hamas. There would have been a successful Oslo Accord. Yasser Arafat wouldn't have broken that treaty in 2000. And we wouldn't be having any of this conflict. We would have had an orderly withdrawal from Gaza. And Israel would have turned over most of Judea and Samaria, 80% according to the Oslo Accords, a long time ago. And there would be a Palestinian state. The reason none of that, because of Iran, because they are willing to spend a lot of money, a lot of effort and training for these various now five major proxy forces that they have. They want to keep warring against America and they want to keep warring against Israel until they destroy it. They say that again all the time. And Israel has that reality, and that's what emboldens these terror groups and these proxy forces, etc. Again, none of them would exist if it wasn't for Iran. Well, let's move on from those political and military realities there, and let's just talk a little bit about Christmas. You spent many Christmases in Israel, in the Middle East. Tell us maybe just a little bit about what it was like to spend Christmas and maybe something that is kind of different now than it was back when you were spending your Christmases there in the land. Well, Rick, in the early 80s, I moved to Israel in 1980. I would be in Bethlehem most uh, Christmases, and they were wonderful. Uh, people from all over the world and choirs, and it was very open. The Israelis were in overall control of security, but that was okay. There were local Palestinian police forces, etc. It was very wonderful. We would go to Shepherd's Field, uh, friends and I, every Christmas and sing and look out over the lights of Jerusalem nearby. But from the creation of uh, Hezbollah in 82, I just mentioned, we started to see more and more trouble in the north. And uh, from the creation of Hamas in 87, just before Christmas, actually, that year, we started to see more and more tensions in Bethlehem. My mechanic was in Bethlehem. I would go out there all the time, as all Israelis did. People shopped out there. There was a wonderful, frankly, a true peace on the ground, basically. But from 88 on, with the first uprising, it changed. And we had far less tourists coming. We had uh, far more security. We had all sorts of checks and on and on. And of course, this Christmas, sadly, hardly anybody there, hardly any tourists anywhere in the Middle East, in Israel as well. People are suffering financially greatly. And again, it's because 
Hamas, backed by Iran, launched this terrible atrocity a couple months ago in October. So it's a sad Christmas, frankly, for the people there. But, you know, it was um, the birth of the Savior there, uh, the light of the world there. And when did he come? He came in the midst of Roman occupation of Bethlehem and of the whole land and of a lot of tensions then as well. So it's not new, but it is going to end when the Prince of Peace, the Lamb of God, born there in a stable 2,000 years ago when he returns to rule and reign from nearby Jerusalem. So we look forward to that light even in these difficult times. But keep prayers for the Arab Christians as well. Uh, I know many of them in Bethlehem and elsewhere, and uh, it's a very uh, sad Christmas for them this year. Well, David, we certainly do want to keep that region in our prayers. This Christmas, we want to pray for Israel. We want to pray for the Christians that are still left in Bethlehem. We want to keep them in our prayers as well. David, we wish you a Merry Christmas. Thank you for all that you do, allowing us to benefit from your insight and your experience. Again, Merry Christmas, and we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you, Rick. Merry Christmas. God bless. And thank you, David. The true meaning of Christmas is love. God loved his own and provided a way, the only way, for us to spend eternity with him. He gave his only son to take our punishment for our sins. He paid the price in full, and we are free from condemnation when we accept the free gift of love. But God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. we got to take a break when we come back. We'll talk more traditions and with our partners from around the world. Right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. Along with Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. That was a great interview with David Dolan, and I remember when I was 24 years old, one of the most impactful memories that I have that I've carried with me my whole life was being in Bethlehem at the Church of the Nativity, reporting on it back to the United States. And this was before the time of the Internet, uh, cable TV. I had to go and record it, or I called in, and we record it from one of our friends there in Bethlehem, Bethlehem Bible College. And uh, it's just something that has stuck with me all these years, an impactful moment and time being there in the church of nativity. But we would later on teach at the shepherd's field, teaching 
some of the things that we had learned while working there in the land, teaching about the memories of the traditional plane of the dramatization of the account of the Christmas story, which later became a DVD with uh, Radio Bible Class, Day of Discovery, and many people have, have watched it over the years, Migdal Adar. But what are your earliest memories of traditions that you still carry on today? Well, I definitely remember that series, Jimmy. It was records, vinyl records. <laughs> yeah, that dad, our dad used to play for us, and it was a kind of a dramatization of the birth of Jesus Christ. And we, the shepherd boys and Herod and the, the kings, it, it was definitely something I remember. Now, as a child, I would think, boy, this is going on so long. It's taking forever. <laughs> yeah. I want to get to opening the presents, but of course, we always listened to that dramatization, and then Dad would read the the passage from Luke, and you know we focused on that as a child. You're so excited about Christmas, and you're so excited about the presents. But you know, as you continue on, I'm doing the same for my kids. Of course, I'm watching an animated version of that same thing. Oh, yeah. We don't have that vinyl record doesn't work anymore. We don't have a player in our house for it. But we do watch an animated version of the birth of Jesus Christ. And the whole thing is about traditionally focusing on the birth of Jesus Christ and then letting our kids be excited for the moment and realizing what Christmas is all about. Well, that's exactly why we are talking about traditions today, because I think traditions are important to helping us later on in life, in our families uh, going to church, the tradition of singing and reading the Bible, memorizing verses, and at Christmas time retelling the story of Christ's birth. I remember that LP, that uh, record, that vinyl that we would listen to, but I remember the actors acting it out, and I would close my eyes. And uh, I would think about being in those fields and the little shepherd boy as he gave his staff to the little baby Jesus and had to lean on the, the staff of one of those other shepherds, which we found out those were priestly shepherds. Well, one of the men that had an impact on our lives and the life with my father, they both impacted one another, is Minnow Kalashir. Minnow, a pastor in Jerusalem. He's on the program today with us. Menno Kalashir joins us today. He is a Friends of Israel missionary. He is a pastor in the city of Jerusalem, and he is a longtime friend of the families. Menno, thank you for joining us on this Christmas around the world as we look at different spots. Can you tell me where are you right now and what are you doing? I hope you will believe me. I'm in the middle of a youth camp, Hanukkah Christmas youth camp, in front of the mountains of Moab just in front of the Dead Sea, mm. a mile from us, even less, about half a mile from us, is the caves of Qumran, where the scriptures were found in 1947. So what can be better than that? So you wonder, what am I doing in a youth camp? Now listen, I came in a stage in my life, I'm 60 years old, and all the life is raising up new leadership in the church. And my son is one of the deacons he came to my office and said, Dad, I need help with the youth camp. I said, of course, I'll help. He said, Dad, I need a cook and a driver. And that's exactly what I am right now. So uh, after this, I'm running to turn on the generator that will have light and electricity in the desert and start to cook dinner. 
Well, what a great story, Menno. Great to hear you out there ministering. Great to hear. I know John said, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. So I'm sure you're so proud of young Daniel, and I'm glad he's out there. And he's obviously got a great cook, so that's wonderful that you're doing that. Well, we are calling to talk to different missionaries, locations around the world where we have ministered as we look at Christmas and how it's celebrated there. And so I guess two things, Menno. I know that over 30 years ago, my dad and yourself and a few other men started a church there in Jerusalem that seems to be really going strong. We'd love to hear an update about that. And then if you could, just talk a little bit about how you celebrate Christmas in Jerusalem. Well, first, I'm sure that your father would really jump out of his seat, now in heaven, uh, to know that a year ago, we started a new church. There is a fruit to raising up new leadership, and one of them, TB, is now leading the new church that we planted in Mevaseret Sion, outside Jerusalem, a group of 50 people from our church who anyway came from the West toward Jerusalem, are there in that church, and we are praising God for that. We purchased a new place for them. We still give the salary to TB until they will say, we don't need it anymore. We are debt-free through the corona, through the COVID. Hmm. God really shined his face upon us. Uh, I'm, I'm really shivering when I say that what God has done for us. It's humbling. So we are so happy. We continue to raise up new leadership, and I said, a few new deacons, and all of them have the potential in the near future to be elders. All of them are preaching in the church. It's simply a joy. I'm teaching right now about 25% of the Saturdays of the services. They are doing the rest, and I'm sitting in the front and give feedback, directions. God is good all the time. We are humbled by what God is doing. So that's concerning the church. We're really thanking God for what he has done. Concerning Christmas, Hanukkah, how do we celebrate it? Well, this year it basically comes on the same day. So in the church, this coming Saturday, the church service will be dedicated, of course, for this. So what do we do? <clears throat> Sorry, we teach about Messianic prophecies, and I'll do a special lesson, and after that we do a potluck. So all day we'll be in the church, literally. God's day. And what am I going to teach? Listen, we are going to teach why Jesus entered into the temple in John chapter 10 in the feast of Hanukkah. Why would Jesus legitimate something like that? This Hanukkah. Is there any Hanukkah in the plan of God in being Christian? Well, the issue is as follows. What is Hanukkah originally? In the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, the years 171 to 165 BC, we know that the Maccabees, the Hasmonaean, during that time, the Jews, overcame the Greek. And they took back the temple, cleaned the temple, purified the temple for the service of God, and they finished to do that on the 25th of December, 25th of Kislev, similar to 25th of, Kislev, of December. And that was two months after the Feast of Tabernacle. So in the book First and Second Maccabees, which are historical books, very important ones, it said that they celebrated this Hanukkah, Feast of Dedication, for eight days. 
because they could not celebrate the Feast of Tabernacle. That's why it is eight days. Not because a miracle of oil or whatever. God can do miracles, everyone knows. But that is not the issue. That is what is written. So basically, Hanukkah is second tabernacle because the first one was not celebrated well. In the same way, Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, enters to the temple in the Feast of Tabernacle, the, the last day of the feast, and tells the people, anyone will come to me, streams of living water will come out of him. And people basically kicked him out. In chapter 8, he tells them, I'm the light of the world. Abraham has seen my day. And they tell me, Amen, who are you? In chapter 9, he healed a blind person. He gave light. And now in chapter 10, he enters into the temple, basically telling them, you didn't believe my words, now you see my deeds. Now you have an opportunity to truly celebrate tabernacle in the right way. I give you a second chance. Will you take it? They did not. Therefore, we have seen the exile and we have seen all the nightmares of the last 2,000 years. And my question to the church and to everyone who hears it, please do not reject Jesus. God's grace gives us so many opportunities, but even God sometimes puts a limit. Enough is enough. Will you call him today? Will it be a Christmas where Jesus is scribed on your heart? Don't delay it for next year. Tomorrow is not yours. Well, amen to that. What an excellent preview of your Christmas message that you're going to do there in Jerusalem this coming Shabbat, tying Hanukkah in as we look at Hanukkah and what that means and represents to the Jewish people, but also Christmas as well. And of course, the most important event in all of history, the arrival and eventual death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, Menno, thank you so much for being on the program today. We appreciate the ministry there. We count you your wife and not all of your family. They are extended family from the DeYoung family. I speak for Jimmy and my mom and my late father, Dr. DeYoung, as well. We love your family and we love what you're doing there. Couldn't be prouder of what the Lord is doing there through you. Shalom there in Israel, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. A big hug from Israel. Man, oh, you're something else. A big hug from Israel. We'll give a big hug to your whole family and to the church there in Israel. And I remember back in the day when Minnow and I used to go up to the Sea of Galilee, to the YMCA, stay there with the youth of the church. Uh, Minnow would teach. And I would corral all the youth. But there's no better time to celebrate Christmas this time in Israel for the Jewish people and for the Arab believers, the believers all over the country as they celebrate this time of the year. The real Christmas story is a story of God's becoming a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. Why did God do such a thing? Because he loved us. Why was Christmas necessary? Because we needed a Savior. It's so great hearing from Minnow this time of the year. It certainly was, Jimmy, and so many great memories of the church in Jerusalem and Minnow and his family it's like our extended family, isn't it? It sure was, Rick. Remember to pray for the church in Jerusalem and uh, pray for them as they are evangelizing in and around Jerusalem and now spreading out to the whole country. Well, we have another friend that uh, we love to talk to. He's a great missionary friend. I was uh, with my family this last summer with him in Montenegro. 
Well, Jimmy, I've got on the phone right now a good friend of both yours and mine, uh, Daniel Petkovsky. He's a missionary in Nixich, Montenegro. Daniel, thank you for joining us today. Rick, thank you for a call, and it's always a pleasure to talk with you guys. Now, Daniel, I know that you are originally born in Serbia, but you are now a missionary in Montenegro. How did that happen? Uh, yes, uh, it happened a long time ago. Uh, during the my during my studies, I was involved in a Christian uh, student group, and we were going to Montenegro because we heard uh, back in those days in 2008, uh, we heard that there are only three evangelical churches in Montenegro, and I just couldn't believe there was like at least five or six churches in my hometown. <laughs> so when I heard that there is three churches in a whole country, uh, I was like, hey, can I join on this uh, short mission trip? And then God had a plan for me. Then I found my wife <laughs> here <laughs> and then I stayed. <laughs> uh, it's amazing how that works. And you do have a wonderful wife and a wonderful family as well. Three young girls. Well, I know that, as you said in your uh, intro there, that the, the need in Montenegro is great. There is not a large Christian presence. Now, there is a large religious presence, Eastern Orthodox or Orthodox, very much a religion, but not a relationship. And what we're doing is we're kind of talking to a few different missionaries that we work with. And how are you using Christmas there in Montenegro right now to talk more about a relationship with Jesus Christ and point people towards Jesus Christ? Yes, but, uh, correct. As you said, there's a, a big religious presence so I'm trying to look at uh, rather on a positive side. Uh, at least religion or Christianity has some authority generally. So I try to uh, connect with people on a common ground. People do celebrate Christmas. Now, they don't know often what it's all about. Uh, they, there is a lot of different uh, national traditions, what we do. And it's often Christmas is related with national identity, not really with the relationship with Christ. But I try to use like uh, uh, Christmas to point them to the real orthodox way of why do we celebrate uh, uh, Christmas. Uh, so I'm usually trying, I'm usually using terminology like orthodox Christianity in the real meaning of, the, of, of that word. What does, what does it make somebody being a Christian? And it's actually relationship with Christ and pointing people to the Bible, point them to uh, look at the scripture, see who Jesus is, why he was born, what what was his mission, and what was he trying to fulfill uh, on this planet Earth. So uh, in everyday conversation, in visiting with people, Christmas is a time uh, when people invite you to their homes and you're going for lunches or dinners. I usually try to uh, use this opportunity to speak with people about uh, Christmas and about Jesus. Well, I think that's excellent advice as well, because like you said, many people do celebrate the season. They celebrate the traditions. Uh, this is a chance that you could uh, explain to them why we celebrate and why that most important event of Christ coming to this earth to die for our sins, why we celebrate that at this time of Christmas. Well, if you could just tell me a little bit, maybe a flavor of what it's like uh, Christmas in Montenegro. Is it, you know, you know you're from Serbia, but you've, you've been in Montenegro for quite some time now. Any traditions, anything special that you do there necessarily? Uh, well, uh, we do have our own Christmas tree and we do celebrate Christmas by the Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox tradition. People celebrate Christmas on uh, 7th of January uh, before uh, the calendar changed. 
Uh, hmm. So people do celebrate on, the, on those days, and usually they would cut the tree from the forest. Uh, now there is a lot of also like pagan uh, superstitious uh, tradition involved in that, and people sometimes think Christmas is all about that, like bringing this special oak tree in your house, um, uh, throwing around the, your house uh, some. Uh, seeds that year will be fruitful and things like that. So there's a lot of, you know, I usually like to point people like, do we find this in the Bible or do we find mm-hmm. Jesus in the Bible? You know, so often people think that Christmas is about that Christmas tree or or different traditions or a meal that we prepare that day. But I try to connect them to Jesus and saying, no, you know, he was born to uh, fulfill the mission, to die for us to reconcile us with father so we can have a real relationship with him that we don't need anybody uh any mediator between us and god that he he is the only one so usually uh, that's basically what we're using this season where we're trying to connect with people and we're trying to use christmas as a common ground and speak with people and what does it what does it christmas means for them we we, we sometimes go on the street and interview people and have a conversations with them what does what does a Christmas mean for you? And you will, we would get a lot of different answers, and we're trying to uh, invite them, uh, whether to read the Bible together with us or to look in the Bible for themselves. Because some people might feel like we, you know, they're threatened, or we're trying to convert them into some other religion, which we are really trying to to show them resurrected Christ, the living Jesus, uh, that they can have relationship with Him. Well, Jimmy, you and I both count Daniel as really a strong friend in the ministry. We've both been over there in Montenegro many times working with the youth there and working with the church there in Nixic, Montenegro, one of the larger cities in Montenegro. And really, folks, this this country is six, seven, eight hundred thousand people and only three really uh, Bible-believing evangelical churches. So uh, the mission field is great there. Daniel, how can our listeners pray for you there in Montenegro? Well, pray for us that we, you know, will stay encouraged. It sometimes can feel a little bit discouraged when there's not many believers in the country. Also, uh, it means for us when we know that we are part of a big family in the world, people who really long for uh, honest uh, and real relationship with, uh, with Jesus. Pray for us that there is a persecution in the sense that not physical but people think that we are cult or a sect because we don't prioritize some of the national traditions that people not necessarily having connections with the bible so uh pray pray for us you know we, we have cases where people been unfriendly to us and and saying like okay i don't want you to do anything with me or to have anything with my family and things like that they they would consider us as a, some kind of a threat so we're trying to be friendly so thank you for 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 those kind of prayers it it would uh, mean a lot for us and pray for uh, more uh, believers it, it is our joy when we see somebody giving his life to christ i don't need to see people being uh, miracles or people being resurrected when i see somebody who never mm. seen who jesus is and suddenly i see their life being transformed by his words, by him uh, directly, you know, living in his heart or hers, uh, that's the biggest miracle for me. And uh, I get to see that. I've seen that uh, many times, and, but I, I, we want more. And I completely understand the word, uh, words 
when Jesus is saying that there's a big uh, celebration at the heavens when somebody gives his life to God. So pray for us uh, for all this, for these matters. And uh, every encouragement means a lot to us. Amen. Excellent answer. Well, Daniel, we appreciate what you're doing there in Montenegro. Folks, if you go to our website, prophecytoday.com, we will link to the work that they have there. And if you would like to contribute or be a part of their ministry there, you can find a way to do that. Well, Daniel, Merry Christmas to you and your family and the church there in Montenegro. Look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you guys. And God bless you. Well, we do love talking to our friends around the world and Daniel in Montenegro. I remember when we were there this last summer speaking with him about what's taking place, his ministry um, to the people of Montenegro, where there's only a point zero 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 three percent of the people are believers, and he's got a big task ahead of him. Well, we're speaking about traditions today, and I uh, wanted to get with my good friend, R.C. Murrell. R.C., welcome to the program again. Thank you, Jimmy, for having me back on a Christmas broadcast. Yes, a special broadcast, and it's great to be with you. We're not going to catch up today on the digital banking system or the C- CBDCs. CBDCs, that's right, Central Banking <laughs> Digital Currency. But uh, we'll catch up on that soon enough because there are some important things to talk about. But what I did want to talk to you about today, R.C., are traditions, Christmas traditions that we do as believers and uh, tell me some things about your christmas traditions yeah jimmy when our sons were young uh, our cuban italian christmas family tradition was a big table with at least 14 maybe oh. 20 people celebrating christmas eve or as the cubans call it noche buena spanish for good night mm. uh, before dinner we would ask the children to recite bible verses about the birth of jesus and then we would have wonderful traditional Cuban dishes. And every few years, we'd switch and have an Italian Christmas Eve with plenty of pasta, <laughs> sausage, chicken, and meatballs. You know, Jimmy, over the year, we mm. lost our grandparents. Two of our sons got transferred in their jobs. The family got split apart. So each year now, my wife and I travel as often as we can to share the birth of the Savior with one of them. And you know, Jimmy, we started a tradition on our blog in 2011 that continues today. And some of it, a lot of it has to do with your dad. In 2011, my wife and I attended the pre-trib rapture conference in Dallas. And that was the first time I met your dad and your mom. At that conference, we heard the story of Migdaliter, the place of the birth of the Christ child. And from then on, my wife posted every Christmas Eve, often with a video of your dad telling the story. So what amazes us that Migda Leader, the Tower of the Flock, is our most viewed post throughout the whole year. In fact, readers are, uh, will use our search engine beginning a few months before Christmas uh, to read the biblical account. You know, on Christmas Day, I, I like to post the Magi Leap for Bethlehem, which is a story I share with friends and families throughout the whole year. Sometimes, Jimmy, I like to ask them a question. Why do you suppose the wise men brought myrrh, which is embalming fluid, to the birth of Jesus? You know, typically, I get a blank stare, and they, and they say, gee, I really don't know. <laughs> and then, uh, Jimmy, uh, it's a great opening to share the Christmas story based on Daniel 2, where the wise men make their first appearance in Scripture. Well, R.C., tell us, why did they bring myrrh? 
Okay. And Dan, I thought you'd never ask. In Daniel 2, in Daniel 2, we find the wise men, stargazers under the threat of death for mm. not being able to know and interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So Daniel asked the king's steward to petition the king for time to pray to God to know the dream and its interpretation. Mm -hmm. So when Daniel got, when Daniel did so, the king praised him with great wealth. And in Daniel 2.48, the king gave Daniel charge over those wise men. And I want to read the verse. Uh, it says, then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many gifts. There comes the gold and possibly spices. And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief uh, administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. So, Jimmy, these wise men or stargazers became Daniel's grateful students. And when the angel gave Daniel the 70 weeks or 490 year prophecies in Daniel chapter 9, 24 to 27, that foretold the exact time of Messiah's first advent and his death, tradition holds that Daniel shared the prophecy with his students and left the gold and spices for them to bring to the birth that would happen 500 years later. Wow. Knowing Messiah would be cut off or killed is the reason for the myrrh. So I'd like to just go over those that those again, if, if that's okay. Daniel yeah. 9, 24, 27 gives us some of the most spectacular prophecies in Scripture. Mm. So here they are, a future event beginning the precise number of years for the first advent of Jesus. It gives us the exact year of his death, the future destruction of Jerusalem, the origin of a future world dictator at the end of the age, a future peace treaty with Israel and her neighbors, a future third temple and the second abomination of desolation, and finally the anointing of the most holy, the most holy uh, beginning the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Jimmy, both these prophecies, both of these posts will be on our website uh, on Christmas Eve and then following Christmas morning. And that website is prophecytracker.org. R.C., you and your wife and your family, little Emma, that we've been continually praying for, please have a Merry Christmas, and we'll talk to you at the beginning of next year. Thank you, Jimmy, and please send our Christmas greetings to your whole, the whole DeYoung family. Well, we're going to have to take a break, and when we come back, the Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. You know, all this month we've been playing the series. It's all about the timing, the place. Those do matter in Scripture. A lot of times people say, well, it just doesn't matter, but it does matter. And I think you're finding that out today. And a part of that is when we talk about traditions, when we talk about these events that are taking place in God's Word. Well, we'll take a break, and when we come back, the Legacy Series, and then Rick and I will wrap it all up at the end, talking more, a little bit more, about traditions, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, this is a very important time of the year for ministries. You know, it, it really doesn't matter because we're going to continue to do this program. We feel like this is what God has called us to do, to edify and educate the body of Christ. But there are ways that others can help ministries, and there's a way that you can help our ministry. That's right, Jimmy. We are committed to sharing the good news of God's prophetic word, and we appreciate the prayers and support of those faithful listeners of our program, and that's how we continue to do this program 
year after year. If you would, and if you would prayerfully support our ministry, you can go to prophecytoday.com. There you can find out how you can mail your donation in, or if you would like to, you could even donate online. That's the easiest way to donate, Jimmy. And you can do that, Jimmy, by going to prophecytoday.com. This week, we're going to be looking at the birth of Jesus Christ and the actual location on earth where it was to take place. That's Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and in the structure where Jesus Christ would be born. In fact, it was to be a sign unto those shepherds in the shepherds' fields, watching over those lambs destined to be sacrificed at the temple. What's so exciting to me about this week's study is that all the details, all the facts pertaining to the Christmas story, the first coming in Jesus Christ, were fulfilled exactly like the prophets wrote them. This is key for us believing that in the first coming, Jesus Christ was truly the Savior of the world who would come to rule his people. But it's also key helping us to understand that all the prophecies about the second coming will be fulfilled in absolute detail as well. We will talk more about those prophecies yet to be fulfilled as it relates to the second coming. But may I suggest you go to the book of Isaiah chapter 9 and we will study about what happened on that cold winter night over 2,000 years ago. It was a cold winter Christmas Eve some 2,000 years ago. There in the shepherd's fields in Bethlehem, just outside the city of Jerusalem, the shepherds were watching over their sheep. Now these were priestly shepherds. You might remember in a previous study, we talked about the fact that these were not young shepherd boys, but instead men qualified to be priests because they were watching over the lambs that would be offered in sacrifice at the temple about three miles away from the shepherd's fields. The month was December, according to what the text tells us there in Luke chapter 1. So it was in the month of December that Mary would bring forth the Christ child. And by the way, the 25th of December was selected by the early church in the 4th century. In fact, in Antioch, they preached on Christmas Day, December the 25th, 386 A.D., and that's where we get the tradition of the 25th. Now, we don't know for sure the 25th is correct, but indeed we do know the month of December was the time of the birth of Jesus Christ. The ancient Jewish prophets had pre-written history about the coming of the Messiah. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, in verses 6 and 7, we read this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Verse 7 of Isaiah 9, Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so the prophets told us, Isaiah in particular there, looking to the birth of a son, Jesus Christ. In fact, that birth would be a miraculous birth. Isaiah also mentioned in chapter 7 and verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us, God-man. 
Over in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, as we think about all of the prophecies pertaining to the first coming of Jesus Christ, we find out that the Christ child, the Messiah, had to be born in a particular location. In Micah 5, 2, it says, But thou, Bethlehem Euphrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be the ruler of Israel, whose going forth hath been from old and from everlasting. Jesus Christ would be the eternal Son of God. He never had a beginning. He will not have an ending from eternity past through eternity future. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, comes to earth to take on the form of man so he could be the way that we would have access into the heavens, into the presence of his Father God. By the way, it says that he had to be born in Bethlehem, Euphrata. Now, that's quite interesting. Not Bethlehem, Zebulun. In the time of the birth of Jesus Christ, there were two Bethlehems in Israel. Bethlehem Zebulon was about 25 miles south of the city of Nazareth, where Mary and Joseph lived. Now, it would have been much easier with Mary if she had been able simply to ride the donkey for that 25 miles. But instead, she had to ride it for 97 miles, coming from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem Euphrata, which is just south of the city of Jerusalem. You ever stop to think about the fact that if he had been born any other place other than Bethlehem Euphrata, he would not have been the Messiah. The Bible gives us absolute detail about the birth of Jesus Christ. And these facts and details surrounding the first coming of Jesus Christ, the Christmas story, had to be fulfilled in absolute detail as well. Uh, let's go back just for a few moments to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is one of four chapters that deals with the birth of Jesus Christ. I go to verse 8 there in Luke chapter 2, and it tells us what was happening in the shepherd's fields on that night some 2,000 years ago, Christmas Eve on a very cold night there in the shepherd's fields. Verse 8 says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now notice what happens next. And lo, the angel of the Lord came unto them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, in Bethlehem, a Savior, which is called Christ the Lord. Now notice verse 12. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Why would that be a sign? Well, I tell you what, the shepherds, these priestly shepherds knew exactly what the sign meant, and they, with haste, verse 16 of Luke 2, with haste they went to find Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Remember the sign, you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. We mentioned in a previous study about a location called Migdal Adar, Genesis chapter 35. That's where Jacob, after burying his wife Rachel, when she gave birth and died in childbirth of Benjamin, he went to Migdal Adar, right there in the shepherd's fields, a two-story stone tower. Migdal meaning tower, Adar meaning the flock, the tower of the flock where the shepherds looking over their sheep that would be destined to go to the temple to be sacrificed would watch from that top story of that stone tower, Migdal Adar, to make certain that nothing was happening with their sheep. 
You might remember in these same fields, 1 Samuel chapter 17, David, when he was a teenage boy watching over his father's sheep in the shepherd's field, killed a bear and a lion who were coming to take some of the sheep. Well, these sheep were special sheep, destined for the temple and to be sacrificed there. However, there is another use for Migdal Adar. In the bottom floor of this two-story stone tower, these priestly shepherds would birth the newborn lambs. That's right, they would very carefully take this newborn lamb from the womb of its mother and then gently reach back and grab some swaddling clothes and wrap this newborn lamb in swaddling and then lay this newborn lamb up in a manger until it calmed down. Remember, these sheep were destined for the sacrificial activities at the temple, and should they be marred in any way, hitting their limbs with something that would mar them, they would not be perfect without blemish and without spot. And so this newborn lamb laying there wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger would calm down, and then the priestly shepherd would unravel the swaddling and let the lamb run off to its mother for a meal. Well, that's exactly what happened with the birth of Jesus Christ. These priestly shepherds that knew the word of God knew the book of Micah chapter 4 and verse 8, where it says the announcement of the Messiah, the one who would come to be king in Jerusalem, would be born in that location. Luke chapter 2 tells us that these priestly shepherds, when told, this will be a sign unto you, you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, they with haste went to the location, Migdal Adar, and there found the newborn lamb, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. What's so amazing to me is that all the prophecies in God's word that relate to the birth of Jesus Christ were fulfilled in absolute detail. That's the test that was given. Remember, God told Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 18, if someone is speaking for me, the prophet will give you the details and they will be fulfilled in absolute detail. That's exactly what happened with the birth of Jesus Christ. Over 360 different prophecies and all fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, we looked at Micah to find out the exact location. Bethlehem, Euphrates, chapter 5 and verse 2. Migdal, Adar, the tower of the flock, chapter 4 and verse 8. Micah was absolutely perfect on the Christmas story, on the first coming of Jesus Christ. If you have some time later, read the rest of Micah chapter 4. In verses 1 to 17, you'll find out that the Jews will return to the land of Israel in the last days that there will be peace. All of the world will lay down their military hardware and pick up farming utensils instead, living in a world of peace. Micah 4 also talks about an alignment of nations that will gather to try to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. And in Micah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it talks about a temple that will be built in the city of Jerusalem from which Jesus the Messiah will teach the world, and that's in the kingdom to come. But speaking of the temple, the Bible also talks about a temple in the tribulation period. In the book of Daniel, chapter 9 and verse 27, there will be a temple where the abomination of desolation will take place. Jesus Christ himself confirmed that in Matthew 24, 15, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, Paul says that the Antichrist walks into the Holy of Holies and claims to be the Messiah, and that would be the abomination of desolation. And Revelation chapter 11, verse 1, John the Revelator is told to measure the spot for the temple. What I'm talking to you about is 
Every single prophetic detail was fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus Christ. I have just given you a couple of the prophecies that pertain to the second coming of Jesus Christ. But what's so exciting to me at this Christmas time when we celebrate the first coming, the birth of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ, we can go forward with the assurance that all additional prophecies pertaining to his second coming will be fulfilled in absolute detail as well. That helps us to understand the authority of God's word, both in his first coming and in his second coming, which could be fulfilled in the very near future. Bible prophecy does indeed give us the assurance that God's word is the word of God. Those prophets According to the test, Deuteronomy chapter 18 would give a prophecy, and if they were truly speaking for God, each one of those prophecies would be fulfilled exactly like the prophet wrote. Well, for these last couple of weeks, we've studied the facts and the details, the prophecies about the first coming of Jesus Christ. And as we've looked at the scriptures, we have become very aware of the fact that all of the prophecies were fulfilled exactly like the prophets said they would be. That gives us the assurance, of course, as I've already mentioned, that we can believe all the prophecies pertaining to the second coming of Jesus Christ will be fulfilled as well. My suggestion would be study not only the prophecies pertaining to the first coming, but look at those prophecies pertaining to the second coming and come to the realization of where we are in God's time for that next appearance of Jesus Christ here on the earth. Thanks, Dad. Folks, this is Jimmy D. Young Jr., and let me just take this opportunity to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I'd also like to thank this radio station for providing the time for this prophecy program to be on the air. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. The first half of Isaiah 9-6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. This line stands out to Slava Gospel Association's Eric Mock. SGA supports the church in several war-torn nations like Ukraine, Russia, Armenia, and Israel. Mock says there's rest knowing the government is on Christ's shoulders, and he is sovereign over the nations. Pray for trust in Jesus as we advance the Great Commission in every nation. And have you considered joining prison outreach? 
Does something hold you back? With Crossroads Prison Ministries, it's simple. Any believer can encourage incarcerated men and women in a Crossroads Bible study simply by writing letters. Crossroads' Alexis Ryan says, Prospective mentors are sometimes hesitant, thinking they'll need to give out their personal information, or they might say the wrong thing. Crossroads addresses all of these concerns and more. Go to missionnews.org for details. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. On today's program, we focus more on Christmas traditions, the things that our broadcast partners do, not only as they talk about geopolitical issues or the issues in Israel or the body of Christ in Israel. We even talked about the body of Christ in Europe. Today, we focus on traditions, and they're not a bad thing. You know, a lot of times people look at them as bad things, but millions and millions of people over the years have used Christmas traditions to help tell the Christmas story. And the traditions are still very important. I agree, Jimmy. And if you look at it, I don't know about your family situation, but I think the majority of family situations would be the wife is much better. The mom is much better at creating those traditions. And that's certainly the way it is in our family. But it's been so important this week as we look at traditions, it reminds us that this is a special time of the year. And even though those traditions sometimes for young children focus around presents and things like that, Mm -hmm. we can continually focus them back on what is the reason that we are celebrating. What is the focus of this Christmas? And that is the birth of the Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no doubt that some of what we now refer to as Christmas traditions can be traced back in some form to pagan cultures and celebrations. The ringing of bells, for example, is generally thought to have had its origin in the early pagan winter celebration of ringing of bells to drive out evil spirits. In later century, bells were rung on Christmas Eve to welcome in the spirit of Christmas with joyful noise. That's Psalm 95.1. You know, I know a song that you and I grew up on entitled Ring the Bells. When Christians enjoy the beauty of a glorious bell choir ringing Christmas carols, we are reminded of the coming of Jesus into the world, not the driving out of evil spirits. I agree. And I think sometimes that's the way Satan works. He takes some of these deals, some of these traditions and tries to pervert them. But we know why we are celebrating and we must continually keep our focus on scripture and we must continually keep our focus on why we are celebrating Christmas. And again, as we've talked about many times, it's the most important event in all of history. What all of the Old Testament pointed towards, and what all of the New Testament pointed back towards was the arrival of Jesus Christ on the earth for his mission, the eventual death, burial, and resurrection of the Savior for our sins. You know, you're exactly right, Rick. The 300-plus prophecies pertaining to Christ's first coming gives us the confidence to know that those 700-plus prophecies pertaining to his second coming are going to come true. And I think that is so very important. I loved what Minnow said when he was talking about Hanukkah. And we've talked about Hanukkah all this whole month, but he's talking about Jesus Christ being in the temple. Why did he go to the temple at the Feast of Dedication, at the Festival of Lights? Well, I love it. You know, 
there's an early pagan tradition of lighting candles to drive away the forces of cold and darkness. However, is it likely that our hearts are drawn to those early pagans rather than rejoicing in our Savior, the light of the world, as we light candles? Of course not. Nor is it likely that when I give gifts to my loved ones at Christmas, the gifts will have less significance to either of us because some druid somewhere in time offered a gift to his coat as part of some pagan ritual. No, we remember, as we should, the gifts given to the Christ child by the Magi. I love what R.C. Merle talked about and those gifts that the Magi did bring to that baby because of the tradition of Daniel passing it down to those men that were given to him. And as he told about the coming of a Messiah, Jesus was the greatest gift ever given, and therefore his birth is worthy of celebration. That is correct, Jimmy. And one thing I like about what you just said, as we look at it, and one thing that Dad always said, Scripture gives us so much information, and specifics matter. And we've looked at this, Jimmy, and you and I have spent many a day out in Shepherd's Fields explaining to people why it's so important that the place matters, that the time matters. And we've talked about Christmas and the, the legacy series, as Dad has taught it, and you and I have shared it as well, it talks about the time that it happened, the, where it happened. All those things are important. If they weren't important, God wouldn't have put them in the Word there, correct? You're exactly right, Rick. These words were put in the Scripture for a very important purpose. What is important is not the origin of traditions, but their significance to us today as believers in the Son of God. December 25th, was not mentioned in the biblical narrative as the day Jesus was born. And as such, we cannot be dogmatic about it one way or the other. But even if the date is completely wrong, there is still the opportunity for thousands of people who wouldn't go to church any other time of the year to go on Christmas Day and to hear the gospel of Christ. I love what our friend Daniel Petkoski said in Montenegro. He uses this opportunity to share the gospel message, the true meaning of Christmas. If you are fully convinced that you cannot in good conscience observe a particular Christmas tradition, do not observe it. If you are fully convinced that a particular tradition is so steeped in paganism to honor God in any way, by all means, forsake that tradition. At the same time, if you are fully convinced that you can honor and worship God through a particular tradition, honor and worship God. That's Romans 14.5. For Christians, Christmas traditions can be an important part of the celebration of of the birth of our Savior, and they remind us of that momentous event that changed the world forever. More importantly, they bring to mind the miracle of the new birth he created in each one of us when he came into our hearts, saved us from our sins, and made us children of God by the shedding of his blood on the cross. It is this amazing truth that enables us to say with the angels, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That's Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Rick, it's almost time. Christmas is almost here. You better get ready. I wish your family a happy Merry Christmas, along with mom and the rest of our family in Tennessee. I'm really looking forward to being together with the family, celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ 
and also talking about our traditions of the past and those memories that we made. Likewise, Jimmy, and I agree with you. By all means, celebrate your traditions. Make this a special time of the year, but don't ever forget what we are celebrating, and that is the birth of Jesus Christ. Merry Christmas, everyone. And with all the information that you received today, hopefully this will help you to keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.